0: turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan.
1: Welcome to the show. Today, we have a special tandem guest. That's right, two guests for the price of one. We have Dr. Bridget Jorgensen and her husband, Alan Jorgensen. Bridget started as a hygienist, but then became a dentist, practiced for 24 years, and sold her practice in 2018. She has since started Dental Practice Matchmaker, which is a Facebook group to help dentists find practices to buy from existing dentists. Her husband, Alan, who started his front office after a career in technology, started Lighthouse 360 practice management software. So they have a very unique story. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Mm -hmm. All right, Bridget, tell us your story, and then we'll have Alan throw in how his story kind of connects in right here.
2: Um, I started out of high school and uh, we got married very, very young. So I didn't go to college right away. Went back to my old orthodontist and asked him, told him I liked teeth and you know what should I do? And he said, Well, go be a hygienist. So I worked in the dental office as an assistant as a front desk person while I was in hygiene school, graduated from hygiene school, worked for two years and thought this might be a little boring for me. And eventually went back to dental school, ran a practice for 24 years and then um, sold it in 2018 and started something else called Dental Practice Matchmaker.
1: But when you started your practice, Alan, you left corporate America went to be her office manager. And let's talk what happened there. Great. So basically I come into the office and
3: these very nice ladies all huddle around me cause they know I have no dental experience and they show me how to build a patient chart. And I laugh. And then I look at them and they're not laughing. I'm like, you guys can't be serious. That's not how you run a business. And so that basically started my journey to saying, we're not going to do it that way. And we started doing business different. Everything, Past the office in the treatment room with the gloves on was her domain, but everything prior to the patient getting into it was my domain in terms of automation and business processes. And so,
1: Bridget, you ran a fee-for-service practice for 24 years, correct? Correct. And you started this in 1994... Yep. And was fee-for-service a big thing back then like it is it more now?
2: Pretty, it was pretty normal. If you were in that work with an insurance company, it was it was rare and probably just when you were starting. But and I think we might have started with one or two, but after a year or so, we're like, no, this doesn't yeah. make any sense.
3: But for, from the so, business side, sitting down, it's like, this is crazy to do this. So we, we got rid of all of it. We also started all digital back in 94, computers, chair-side no film no processor in the building all digital x-ray back when people said well you can't do that
1: wow so so insurance is a bigger thing now than it was 25 Very 30 nice, years yeah. ago
3: it, it's crushing people
1: Well, yeah and I, we could talk about that all day long yeah. so alan you look in here you're, you're stepping in as a business guy who's been in the business world for you know 20 years or 15 years or whatever and you're like okay This dentist office is stuck in the dark ages, is what you saw. I started in the data center with a telephone company,
3: did a bunch of work, which got us down to Georgia. And then I joined a German software company that did professional consulting. So from that aspect, I was dealing with all sorts of different companies, Delta Airlines, CDC, I mean, uh, universities and so forth. And so it was seeing how they ran their stuff and then coming into the dental office and realizing not a single business in the world would want to model their processes off a dental office.
2: Small business is very different from large corporations.
3: But the philosophy, I mean, a a quill pen, a filling out a form, it it, it did not make sense whatsoever, especially since we started computerized. Our first appointment book was a computer when people weren't putting their appointments on there. And I knew the computer had all the information needed in order to make it easy to treat patients and to do the business side of it. So we focus on that, and that's kind of
1: what the whole thing did. So out of this, you basically started a software company that for practice management called Lighthouse 360. Kind of. Early on, the internet had just,
3: Dental Town didn't even exist yet. It was something called the IDF, the Internet Dental Forum. And so we were having conversations with people and describing what we were doing, and everybody calling me a liar saying, you can't do that. So we basically said, okay, come visit the office. And we were hosting day in the Life where either doctors or doctors and their teams would show up and they would just buddy up with our people and walk around and they would see how we could bring in patients with no charts. We could see them, we could treat them, we could check them out and everything. And the, the most amazing thing was that for having five treatment rooms, for having two doctors, two hygienists and everything,
1: we had one front desk person and it was me. And I was bored most of the time goofing off on the internet. This is back in the 56k modem days, where it's yeah, you had to wait 10 minutes to get online. Some of our the younger people don't don't uh, remember, don't know what that was like. <laughs> so, um, but
3: again, the dentistry was being done.
1: New patients were
3: coming. in. Uh, she's multi generational. The business of the, dentist, the 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 dental need was very real out there and easily fittable to a different way way of doing it. And so that's kind of our office from the get go. We had on-site childcare because we basically brought four children <laughs> up <have>
2: four kids
3: <laughs> while we were starting a, a dental
1: uh, you know practice and a, a software company. So you brought her practice into the modern age and yeah. how much did that improve the efficiency of the practice?
2: Well, we were seeing a hundred new patients a month for probably the first five years that we were in the startup. Yeah. So, I mean, that just takes a lot of effort and a lot of time. So, we were doing all that. The I mean, I guess we were modern from the very beginning, yeah. but had a lot of people telling us, you can't do it that way. And it's like, it's working, though. It,
3: it was a seven-figure practice in the mid-90s. We had two doctors, but they worked a split schedule where one doctor was on a week and then off a week. So, at any uh, given time, I only had one doctor in the
1: building, but we could keep five days full. So... What percentage, based on your experience, of practices today would you classify as behind the curve technologically and still? Yeah, catching up, but like how much more efficient? I mean, soft everyone has a software program. There's a software program for everything now. And I would but, say
2: most people have digital x-rays. Yeah.
3: So there's a lot of people that possess technology. There's not that many that use it or use it well. So that's the kind of the, the big difference. The, the good news is with the growing uh, doctor, the young doctors coming up, they grew up with iPhones and iPads. So they are more technology savvy. But the problem is they're not wanting to buy practices or start practices. So you've got the old guard who didn't really believe as much in the technology or saw, grew up in a way of you know, wet finger dentistry where you weren't even using gloves. So their offices are not technology current. And the new folks are either going straight into the DSOs or they're being brought in under the old way of doing things. And that's the the biggest problem dentistry have is the earlier people saying, but this is how it's done. And- The newer people just adapting, saying, okay, if that's the way, it's got to be done. They tried to do that to me, well-intentioned. They tried to show me how you do an emergency patient different than a regular patient. And then if an emergency patient becomes a regular patient, you build them a legitimate chart versus the the, the skinny chart, and it just didn't make sense. And and I just called BS on it early on and said, we're going to do things differently. And there's very few dental out there that would take a hard look at what they're doing now. And say, does this make sense? Is this the best way of doing it?
1: I think everyone has te- Everyone has a computer, and a smartphone, and an internet connection now. So everyone has technology. But your point about are they using it efficiently is is a very good point because many of us, I'm sure, I'm probably guilty of it too, aren't using technology as efficiently as possible. So, so that that is interesting. So talk about so lighthouse began to grow, and when did lighthouse become bigger than the dental practice? So we started her practice on a practice management system called
3: Practice Works. And to this day, it is just amazing what it could do. However, very few people could make it do all the things it could do because they didn't have the programming background. You needed to know technology. I always use the example of people would go into this mansion and stop at the foyer and basically say, what's the big deal? It says there's nothing in there, and never go through the second door to discover everything. So we basically tweaked her office out with PracticeWorks. All of the PracticeWorks users would come and would get our systems and processes. So we had a very large following of just that small subset.
2: The two people he's talking about are the two people that started PracticeWorks and, and them.
3: And they became my partner, Brian and, and Joel. And so we realized that we could help more people if we expanded it to all practice management systems. The, the limiting factor was what practice management system we created an ability to connect to their practice management system, pull their data into the cloud, now that the cloud's real, and we could do all the systems for anybody that we were doing in our office. And that's when it uh, really uh, kicked off. And you know, instead of a couple of hundred people, we we're helping several thousand people all around the world. Before, of course, once something gets started, that's when uh, it, it gets bought. So uh, it uh, we ran Lighthouse practice management systems as a consulting group from 2000 to like 2005. Lighthouse 360 was launched in like 2006, and then
1: it was uh, purchased in 2013. So would you say from 94 to 2000 was the experimental years, the kind of the R&D years for it? Proof of concept, making sure that the things that we did, because,
3: again, when these people would say, well, you can't do that, and then i show them we could do it, they said, but it will only work in your office, which was, again, another challenge to say, no, it will work anywhere. And so we had to figure out how to pick up our system that didn't have me sent there and transplant it to other people. And so, yeah, it was a part of the
1: growing curve. Yeah, human beings definitely have limiting thoughts when you challenge the status quo. And so, Bridget, what was... Go ahead. So I was going to say that the, the biggest problem we
3: have with all of these things is people saying it can't be done. Because if you say it can't be done, then by definition, it won't be. You, you will find ways for things not to work instead of saying, wow, it, just imagine if we could do that.
1: So, Bridget, what was it like to have a growing practice, being a new dentist, at the same time seeing this soon-to-be 800-pound gorilla being developed in the back office, if you will.
2: Well, if we would have known, that's what it was going to be. But at the time, I just thought it was a huge time suck because he was How many also- arguments
1: did you guys have? How many arguments <laughs> do you guys have over oh, this? Oh, a
2: few.
1: <laughs> the, the,
3: they were my experimental guinea pigs. So while I was tuning and tweaking and trying to get it right, I was constantly knocking them over and making their life more difficult so I could kind of improve it and to get the incremental upshift. So I went to bed sleeping with one eye open many a
2: night <laughs> yeah
1: that, that is funny so but, you
2: wh- know if I hadn't had him you know our practice would not have been as successful because I was all in with the kids and the dentistry and running an associate so if I would have had to do the business to the level if he was doing it, I would have done it but not as great you know we wouldn't have been as successful as we did but we had one person completely concentrating on business one person doing clinical and you know both being parents at the same time because we did do the child care in our office which ended up being a huge practice builder
1: yep. so talk about that so you have four kids they mm-hmm. were obviously young when you're doing this and mm-hmm. so you set up some sort of child care and hired so somebody we,
2: we bought a pediatrician's office so a long time ago i don't know if they still do it but they had a well waiting room and a sick waiting room So we bought that office. We turned the well waiting room into our actual receptionist and then the sick waiting room that was just across the hall, um, into a kid's playground. So we had, um, somebody in there at all times. She watched our kids and she watched any kids that were there for an appointment or if their mom was there for an appointment or their dad, they went in there. So most of the time she had two kids in there. Sometimes she would have seven kids in there, but only for a half an hour. So. It just made it so much easier for patients to make appointments because they're not having to find sitters for their children. So it it turned into we were the family friendly uh, practice in the area. The
3: homeschool families. I mean, our kids would get off the bus. The school bus would stop and they would just hop in and come into the dental office and do their homework. It was I can't, can't imagine doing it any other way. But again, when you explain this to other people, they will immediately throw up the flag saying, well, you can't do that. And I explained to him, you've got childcare in your offices right now. They're just running up and down the hall or they're sitting in the treatment room. I mean, if we never took direct supervision of the children. We, the, the parents were those in the building. We just had a preferred place that they wanted to go in, play their video games, play with the toys and so forth.
2: And, and the side benefit is kids would be thrilled to go to the dentist. They're like, when's my next dental yep. appointment, mom? <laughs> Which is not something you usually get.
1: Now, did you end up doing a lot of pediatrics because of this?
2: Yeah. We, there were really no female dentists in the area when we first moved here. And um, our practice was two female dentists, myself and my sister-in-law. And yeah, we, we were the pedodontists of the area, not being pedodontists, but. um,
1: Very Mm child-friendly. So talk about, uh, you sold your business in 2013. And when you sold, I assume at some point you graduated from front office to more CEO or something like that. And you had to hire somebody else. (laughs) But when you sold the business, you went back to work in the dental office.
3: Correct. So so basically, the practice at that point in time, there was a lot of focus on Lighthouse. Bridget was basically slowing up a little bit just because she didn't need to work as many hours. And we were just kind of uh, coasting on it. When I left with Lighthouse, I was bored. So that was the first problem we had. And that's when looking at uh, practice transitions the worst way to sell a practice is after you coast for a little bit. So it doesn't matter that we were a seven figure practice very early on into the career of it. And we knew it could do more, The fact that we didn't want to work that hard was going to then ding us because people would say, Yeah, but the practice can only do this. So it's like, No, can't. And so I just rejoined the practice. We uh, adjusted our marketing. I adjusted my appointment scheduling, which has always been a a topic of conversation. Uh, It's amazing what I can fit onto a schedule that a a real dental person won't put on a schedule. (laughs) And we took the production up another 20, 30% just to put it where it should
1: be. So then we could then start the a transition process and then you hire eventually an associate with the intention of selling the practice to that associate
3: so we dabbled with a broker and it was not a pleasant experience whatsoever in terms of outcomes process or just we felt
2: outright lies yeah it it
3: it was it was very poor so after that we said okay how how should this be done and similar to using her office to start lighthouse we use this whole process to say let's understand it better by simply using the state licenses to find out all the dentists that graduated in a certain time period when they got their license we identified the target people we want to talk to downloaded that from the state printed letters and mailed off 700 letters to to people saying wherever you're at you may want to come and talk to us
2: people that were in the atlanta area and had graduated within the last five years and um we got three or four people to come actually talk to us. And one of those people eventually bought the practice. So, well, she worked there for three or four years and then um, purchased it. So, you know, she came in, I immediately went, I was working four days, I went down to two days and she was working three days. So I could leave her alone and make sure she got her practice up and going.
3: And more importantly, we didn't give 10% to somebody who showed up at the very end to say worth my check. We made sure that it was full disclosure, that she had end-to-end access to the physical plant, all of the equipment, and the books. Her husband came in, and he basically sat beside me, and I showed him the dial-in system and how to do things, and to let him know that it's a little scary at first, but eventually it's not that big of a deal. So the, the office, here we are, almost five years post-sales, they're crooning along as, as they have been and even better than we did. it. So, and, and it's a great relationship still five years afterwards.
1: That's fantastic. So now you have one child who is a dentist
2: mm-hmm. who
1: bought a practice a couple of years ago and uh, learned from you and is doing really well now.
2: She did. She bought it three hours away from us. So it's not like right next door and bought it um not on a lark but um she she had gotten laid off from her practice and she was working for
1: a corporate dentist or something
2: no she was working for a private practice but but but,
3: covid hit and all the all the dental offices shut down and so she was just basically staring and saying oh wow this is not not fun for me
2: so i because i'm part of the birmingham peeps put a an ad on facebook saying is anybody interested in selling their practice Again, we have three or four people that contacted us. We looked at them all and she bought one of them. So, you know, it was just fortuitous. But I realized at that point, a lot of other people would would like to buy practices from from other dentists, but dentists don't want to put all their information out into the world. If there was some way we could do this anonymously. um,
3: And they're being told by the professionals, oh, you can't do that. You know, you do the dentistry. We will take care of the selling of it. But there's no person more vested in the selling of a practice, the transitioning of their patients, of their lifeblood, and everything else, than the person actually driving it. So it is possible to make the connection, do a little due diligence, get some guidance and advice and input from other. Uh, You'll know, build a team and then do the transaction. Uh, the The transaction happened very fast. She very fast. She worked uh, at temporarily from May to reopen it because the office was closed in February due to COVID. She opened it back up in May closed in June and then immediately start implementing the systems that we kind of refined and she opened it
2: with like one and a half employees because everybody was gone from COVID. The person that had worked there previously was only up in a few days a month. So very part-time schedule and all of a sudden our daughter was like, okay, I need people five days a week. And so she had to hire somebody. she has to set up her system. She had to go out and network. So it was, it was quite a summer.
1: But so now help
2: helping her buy
1: that, that helped you. That was that a callus for you starting what you're doing now?
2: When she bought it, we were not thinking of that. We were very much just trying to get her to survive what she had purchased. And she is surviving and thriving. And then afterwards, we started thinking that there's a a lot of other people that are in this same situation. They're in corporate dentistry. They want to buy a private practice. They don't know how to how to get out there, or how to find those private practices to purchase. And, and so,
3: on my side, from Lighthouse, I had clients that are 20 years, 20 plus year uh, clients, people that we you know basically grown up with. And just like we were transitioning out, a lot of my old clients are wanting to get out, and they weren't too sure how to do it. So it was a continuation of the past. We were involved with her dental school. We were going up, meeting her uh, people and and getting to know this rising class and realizing that they're not being taught much about the business of dentistry. And they are just blindly following people because they know dentistry. I mean, the, the U.S. produces the best clinical dentists around with zero business training.
1: Oh, yeah, that's, I mean, that, that's for sure. They don't learn anything. So now this is kind of parlayed you into your new venture, which talk about that. What's it called? What Talk about what it does.
2: Well, we both have new ventures. My venture together kind of is called Dental Practice Matchmaker. And it's a face, free Facebook group. You have to be a dentist to enter the group. I verify that. Um, I research it. Once you're in the group, You can post if you need a job in a particular city or state. You can post if you are hiring a dentist, you need an associate. You can post if you're selling a practice, or you can post that you are searching for a practice to purchase, and you can put as little or as more, more information on there as possible. More pictures tends to get you more interest, and then people put their email address or some kind of contact, and then the event happens outside of us. We are only a matchmaker and we are free because I very much want new dentists to be able to partner with older dentists and leave corporate out of the... Out the cold. So
3: we're, we're a switchboard, so mm-hmm. we're a conduit to hopefully make match the round. We've got over twelve thousand people. the The number of posts that come in are, are just amazing. So we have to guide people to make sure that they understand how to search. We're looking to try to do a little technology to make it a little bit better. Um, but right right now, it's just using the, the the Facebook engine and letting people know that it's out there.
2: Wow. And it started and a year and a half ago. So, from a year zero. and a half to 12,000.
1: And it's called Dental Matchmaker or Dental pra-
2: Practice Matchmaker.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, that everyone should check out that Facebook group for sure. Um, and then, Alan, what's your second act? So,
3: once we uh, got the practice sold, I had a person reach out to me who had done a couple other companies not in the dental space that wanted to do a dental company. And through a mutual friend, we were uh, put together and I informed him that I did have one bit of unfinished business. Lighthouse had always considered it. We always had it in our path to take care of the back end, the, the, the back office, the insurance claims and all that stuff. But we just got so busy doing the the patient facing, the, the recall, the the scheduling, the confirmation, all of that, that we didn't get a chance to do the insurance handling and the back end posting So I've now created a company called Inside Desk, and it currently has over 500 offices that we are basically harvesting every single night, all of their open insurance claims. We then check all the various statuses so that on a daily basis, a person can sit down, log into their website and know exactly what's going on with every open claim. And again, the whole dental way of doing things, waiting for something to be 60, 90, 100 days old, and then find out who you're mad at and tell them, okay, you got to call outstanding claims. I mean, that's the normal dental way of doing things. We have the technology that if you send off a claim electronically and it hasn't been received in three days, you fix it then. If a claim is immediately rejected, you fix it then. You don't wait 90 days to push the resend button and wait another 90 days. So uh, we're we're taking the methodology that we developed one the 30 years of running an all-digital practice, and we're trying to make it available to everybody.
1: I do find... I do find it ironic that the guy who ran a fee for service practice now is a software to help people uh, process dental claims. That is there's is some irony there. Well,
2: our fee for services may be a little bit different. Yeah. We absolutely accepted insurance.
1: We
3: just uh, didn't sign any contracts. Yeah, so so in, we were in, not
2: into any PPO's.
3: in any PPO. Insurance was always a good 80 percent of our patients had insurance, 20 percent didn't, and of the 80 percent that had the patients, our revenue was 50, 60 percent insurance paid. So we were so, very they, had, they had to fill the gap. They had to fill the gap. Okay. Correct. Mm-hmm. We were very much involved with insurance. We just would not sign a contract. And, and again, the, the one takeaway I'd give to anybody watching this, any contract that's being handed to you by an insurance company, know that there was a team of lawyers preparing it, and you should read every line of it. It shouldn't be an office manager saying, great, you're new here. You need to sign these seven forms so that we can get you credentialed.
1: That's ridiculous. Wow. Absolutely fascinating. Was well, there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you?
2: The one thing that has bothered me a lot about younger dentists now is they're getting out and their goal is to buy three practices. And I'm like, you're just tripling your nightmare. <laughs> I mean, one practice can, can be very financially rewarding. And I think, you know, you you start adding complexity with every single office, and especially if you can can't be at every office and you're just hiring people that you can't supervise to run them. So
1: well, At least start with one, then work yeah, it out right to
2: three. Start with one and get it tweaked to where it is cooking yeah. and then think about something else. Don't make that. I mean, I've, I've, I've talked to students who are like, yeah, my first, I'm going to buy a practice. I'm going to buy another practice. Two months later, I'm going to buy another practice and then I'm set. And I'm like, oh, you are so not set. So it's just a
1: walk before you run. And the devil's yeah. in the details. So, what advice would you give to a brand new dental school graduate?
2: Get some business education, whether it be QuickBooks, yeah, all that stuff. You need to be doing your own books at the very beginning because there's not a lot of books to do. You don't have a ton of money coming in. Might as well learn then, and you know, have have a finger on your own pulse of your financial situation. Yeah. Don't wait for an accountant to tell you six months later, oh, this is your profit loss from four months ago.
1: Yeah, those are really good points. So well,
3: and, and be plugged into all, your focus is the dentist, your, your chair side, your best use of time is treating the patients. However, you have an owner, an, an, uh, a manager hat on, you need to understand the revenue cycle. You need to understand the ordering cycle. You need to understand all of these systems so that in a pinch, when somebody just doesn't show up, You can at least partially do it or make sure that you get somebody that can backfill it and monitor to make sure it's being done. So many offices get into problems because no one is monitoring. They don't realize something has spun out of control, whether it be the supply ordering or not ordering, spending too much money, not getting what they need critical to, to keep the day going or not following up on the revenue side of it, not getting their claims paid. They're doing a whole lot of dentistry. They're on a, a roller skates trying to get everything all done and there's no money coming into the account and they don't know why. So you need to be aware from end to end
1: what's going on. really good advice. really good advice. Well, Alan and Bridget, I really appreciate your time today. This has been a fascinating conversation.
2: Thank you. Enjoy
1: talking with you. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brand.
0: This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannan, visit rossbrannan.com.
4: This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Paz, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. External sites and materials are provided for your convenience in locating related information and services. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees expressly disclaim any responsibility for and do not maintain control, recommend, or endorse third-party sites, organizations, products, or services, and make no representation as to the completeness, suitability, or quality thereof. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ 3664, Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850 Security products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas insurance license number 16139032. California insurance license number OL1007322. 23 expires. 125.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.